some years ago, uh, I signed up for a spinning class. I say that with the same feeling some of you have just expressed. Oh, except I was ignorant. I didn't know much about spinning. And I know there's some spinning instructors here, so I'm going to be aware of that. But I did the early morning class, and I only did it once. And the reason for that is what I'm about to describe to you. I got up very casually at five o'clock as I do. I had a lovely first Americano for the day and I got dressed in the appropriate, you know, you got to have a vibe now when you go to gym. Very expensive vibe. And um, I got to class and I was casual about it. I thought this is going to be a lovely start to the day. I'm going to get a little bit of fitness going. What I came to was a war zone. An angry woman came to lead the class. And I don't know what happened in her life, but it was my fault somehow. At least that was the feeling I had. And I need you to understand that I left a very peaceful, quiet house with nobody shouting at me whatsoever. I'm single. Nobody shouts at me at all. And I got to this class and she climbed on the bike and in the first minute I knew, look here, this is serious now what's happening here. This Pay attention or you will die. And for 45 minutes, somebody who was just very upset just shouted me. <laughs> I'm sorry, it's my, my experience. And, and I thought what I could do was I could look intense, but keep the setting moderate. Well, was I wrong? She knew me. She knew what I did. She said over the microphone, I don't want those pastors slacking off. <laughs> I haven't been back to spinning class because I, I, I genuinely feel that there are better ways to ruin a morning, I think. I mean, there are, you don't, you know, you don't even have to be. But I did realize that what I'd stepped into was more intense than the attitude of my mind. And I wondered about that in my preparation this morning, about how many things we casually go into, and when we get there, we realize, this is serious. Do you know how many people go into marriage sort of casually choosing the color scheme of the wedding? but not the content of the marriage. And when you get there, you realize, well, this is, a, this is not a joke. And there are so many things in our lives that our mindset must match the magnitude of the moment. Do you see what I mean? I mean, there, there are other people that's far too intense about things that don't need it. Do, do you know what I mean? You know, some people just overly, you know, <laughs> We all like a salad, but you don't have to get so worked up about it. It's okay if the, you know, the cucumber isn't cut in squares. We all live. And so some people are too intense on things that don't need to be and not intense enough on things they need to be. And the Bible has a lot to say about that. And so I want to perhaps talk to you today about how the Bible advises us to match the mindset to each moment. And how the Holy Spirit is the desperate ingredient needed because I think we live in a world that is going mad. The mindset matching is inappropriate. There are people losing their minds on some things 
and being called different names. There are people making very serious statements like you can do it every day, like it's a casual thing. And somewhere along the line, it's the devil who is winning the war in our minds. I think we need to make an adjustment there. So Luke chapter 23 has this passage of scripture. This is so professional. Also came up and poked fun at him, Jesus on the cross, making a game of it. And they toasted him with sour wine. So you're the king of the Jews. Save yourself. That's same event, but recorded in Matthew 27 from the NRV says this, they offered Jesus wine to drink mixed with gall. It was mixed with something bitter. But after tasting it, he refused to drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his clothes by casting lots and sitting down. They kept watch over him there. Do you know what happened on the cross? Jesus dies on a cross and the people who crucified him were playing a board game to see who would win his clothes. And right there at the cross, the significance of Christ and the humanity of playing a game. And how contrasting that moment must have been. I'm immediately reminded about Jesus' refusal to drink something that was supposed to be a sweet wine, but was bitter because they mixed it. I called it the mixing game. One of the great dangers in life is to take what is God has intended for sweet and to allow something bitter to join it, and then to make that a drink. And how incredibly unwise uh, that would be. And Jesus immediately responds with a significant, a significant authority. I won't have that. Even on a cross, even if I'm thirsty, I won't mix things up. And I just, maybe you haven't realized, but I just inserted something in your heart that, you know, even if you're thirsty, even if you're hungry, even if there's a desire unfulfilled, don't mix things up. Don't mix things up. I've said this joke at every church I've been to because there's always some parent who feels anxious about a crying child. And the joke is the following. I once some years ago said to someone from the stage, don't worry, your child isn't bothering me. And some of you know the joke. After the service, the parent came to me and said, no, no, you're bothering the child. Okay, I, get, I, got, I got it. I, got, I thought I was being nice. It turns out I'm the problem. <laughs> Romans chapter 7 uh, from the message uh, it talks a little further about this, this, should we call it a game? Um, and, and I want to talk to you today about three or four games you are automatically in, whether you choose to or not be aware of it and how to win at them. But Paul in Romans chapter 7 says, I find myself the victim of a certain game. And it's the game of the life of the spirit and the life of sin and death. And I'm not going to lose this game. So he words it like this in the message. But I need something more, he says, for I know that the law, I know that the law, but still can't keep it. I know the law, but still can't keep it. But if the power of sin within me keeps sabotaging my best intentions. I don't know if you've ever felt like this, just not felt yourself. It says this, I obviously need help. I realize that I don't have what it takes. I can will it. I just can't do it. Oh, lemon meringue makes me feel like that. <laughs> I decide to do good, but I don't really do it. I decide not to do bad, but then I do it anyway. 
my decisions, such as they are, don't result in actions. Something has gone wrong deep within me and gets the better of me every time. It happens so regularly that it's predictable, he says. It will be predictable after lunch for me today. The moment I decide to do good, sin is there to trip me up. I truly delight in God's commands, but it's pretty obvious that not all of me joins in that delight. Parts of me conveniently rebels. And just when I least expect it, they take charge. I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope. Is there no one who can do anything for me? Isn't that the real question? But the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. No, Romans chapter 7 from the message translation is the summary of the human condition. There are people out there making decisions, not living up to them. There are people out there deciding to walk away from things in here too and not able to stick to that decision. There is this game that's being played. I want to do right, but wrong wins. I fight wrong and lose. And he says, you know, this is the great apostle Paul. Now, this is a man of God saying this. So don't feel bad. He says, and you know what? It's, it's actually predictable. It's predictable. And he said, no matter how much I decide in my mind to make a change, I can't get it right on my own. I want to tell you today that if you're ever not feeling yourself, if you've ever tried to make a decision to be a different person, and you're trying to do that purely on the strength of your decision-making ability, it will not be enough. You too, at some point, must come to an intersection and say, can God please help me? And you know, sometimes we switch that around, eh? We say, can the church please help? Where's the church? Can my spouse please help? Where's my spouse? Where, where's my support? Where's my... But actually, all of those are shadows. The real support or life change comes from Jesus Christ. You know, in this tension of being pulled into not feeling like you're yourself, we have to again and again go to the works of the Spirit. Again and again go to the works of the Spirit. You know, the older I get, and I'm well into my, as you know, 40s now. That was a joke, but some of you weren't sure. But it's only 60 now. Um, the more I realize you don't settle into a stable decision-making you're the victim of other people's influence in what you accept and don't accept. I'm becoming more and more under the influence and pressure of norms. Whose norms? Worldly norms. I don't want to be. I want to be under heaven's norms, God's norms, his life on earth as it is in heaven. So maybe you don't feel yourself and you're wondering what the formula is. I think we have to start with an acknowledgement that that formula is that you're in a game and you're losing. And you need support. Now, I'm not a gamer. I know Robert is here somewhere. He's a bit of a gamer. You need tools and tricks to win at a game. They've got shortcuts to unlock weapons and unlock fuel supplies and all that. That's a sermon right there. 
There are shortcuts to unlock fuel and shortcuts to unlock weapons. You got to get on your knees in order to get up from your knees and win. But what you're not going to do is think your way out of it, philosophize your way out of it, navigate your way out of it, negotiate your way out of it. It's not going to happen. You will become what the world has said you're allowed to be unless you allow Jesus Christ to make you the man or the woman that Christ intended for you to be. Whose will you be? Who's will you be? 1 Peter 1 um, from the message uh, says this, so roll up your sleeves, get your head in the game. Be totally ready to receive the gift that's coming when Jesus arrives. Don't lazily slip back into those old grooves of evil. Doing just what you feel like doing, you didn't know any better then, you do know now. As obedient children, Let uh, yourselves be pulled into a way of life shaped by God's life, a life energetic and blazing with holiness. God said, I am holy, you be holy. You see, this game, this life of games we live in is influenced by push and pull factors. We're all being pulled towards something and pushed towards something. This word says, let God pull you into his way of living. Pull you into his way of living. Now, I'm amazed at how the, the world we live in uh, it tries to normalize you to their standard. Suddenly, anything that's at an elevated standard is not normal. When did average become normal and excellent become not normal? That's not okay. That orbit has to come to an end. I'm very worried about the state of Christianity around the world and even in our own country. Do you know why? Because there's a generation of people, a little bit younger than me, who are inventing a God of their own mind and then are disappointed that he didn't come through for them. But you made him. And anything you make isn't big enough to make you. So you'll have to make a choice to worship a God so big you couldn't make him with your own mind, but big enough to make you with his. You'll have to choose that. There's no other way around it. At some point, we're just not going to be lazy about it. So here's the principle I want to share with you as we navigate these mind games and how to be victorious over them. It doesn't happen by accident. You can't lazily, casually, like I casually signed up for a spinning class and casually arrived thinking, well, this will be lovely, and then found myself in an excerpt of an apocalyptic movie. (laughs) The end of days, mine. You can't do that. You can't do that about life. You can't casually mosey on into life and casually mosey on into marriage and casually mosey on into the spiritual dynamic of sin and death and life and resurrection and go, oh, this is casual. No, 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 no. What you want to do is you want to approach it with clear mind, sharp eyes, good weapons. And you know, I have to ask myself, where's my head at? I've been forced to ask myself, whose voices have influenced my own mindset? Do you know that the two years in lockdown were tough, but okay. It's the year after lockdown that was tougher. It was tougher. 
Not, 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 you know, not in the outside things, but I'll tell you what, a, a little demon came and whispered in my ear. Aren't you tired of waking up every day and telling people how they should live? And I thought, well, yeah. And I've been doing it for 30 years. It's enough now. And I felt a gravitational pull. And then, you know, the algorithm on YouTube finds more people who say stuff like that to you. I know you know about the algorithm. If you think the whole world thinks like you, you have been lied to. I watched one video by mistake of a Muslim woman and how they put a turban thingy on their head. And for the next three months, I just got recommendations about how to be a Muslim. It was by mistake and it was a short. It was like not even 15 seconds. And then there's just, you know, how to cook Muslim food. And I'm like... How do I, do I have to delete everything? What do I do? I had to delete my history actually and just like watch five Jesus videos in a row so, so that I could cancel the, the gravitational pull started affecting me. I suddenly found myself lazily uh, floating in a different pool. How'd that happen? And everybody else agrees with you in that pool. And everything else you read in that pool agrees with you. Everything else you think in that, wait a minute, wait a minute. Hang on, hang on, hang on. I'm in a war zone here. Why am I being lulled? It's not good enough to let that happen in your life and in your heart. So, how much time do I have left? No, I know, but the camera has batteries. <laughs> In North End, they switch the lights off. In fact, the pastors there one day said to me, I don't know why you say that. It means nothing. Nobody cares. You're just telling yourself you're creating anxiety for your own life. I want to tell you about three games that the spirit of this world, the gravitational pull, messes with. And I want you to win this war. I want you to play a game and win. I heard that the Dream Team had a party this week. Congratulations, you guys. Dream Team party, first one, I think. But I also believe that some saints were not as saintly during the board games. <laughs> that rumor has reached even uh, John Yeller. That rumor, <laughs> that rumor, it's the first act of repentance I saw in a service right there. I saw John say, I'm Ensign with Pitt. Um, <laughs> You know, let me, let me tell you, uh, you, you, think, you think the ugly side can come out in a board game. You have no idea the ugly side that comes out when the devil realizes you figured out you're a victim in one of his games. See, time's up when you know what you're playing. Not even when you win. As soon as I know what game we're playing, I haven't won yet, but I'm winning now. Because now I know, oh, sorry, I was using cricket rules, but we're playing rugby. Oh, okay, I understand. Oh, I thought we were doing, <laughs> how's this for very old, yikske. <laughs> I grew up in a town that actually played that. Is that what we're doing? Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't realize I was playing that, but you wanted to play some boxing. Now I know. I'll go fetch whatever tool I need for this game. And now I'm winning. The deception lies in you not knowing what game you're in. That's the deception. That's where the loss is. The first one I want to raise is what I've titled the worship game. 
the worship game. There is a game in worship. It's the idea of having one's hands up but heart far away. It's the idea of reaching the heaven, heavens externally but shrinking back internally. Look at what Jesus said. This is one of the most blunt scriptures in the Bible, and I'm all here for it. Matthew 26 from the message. Then Judas already turned traitor, said, it isn't me, is it, Rabbi? Jesus said, don't play games with me. Oh, that's nice. Oh, it sits so nicely. You know, they're at the dinner, and Jesus says, one of you will betray me. Judas has already got the 30 pieces of silver. And with traitory in his heart, Amongst his friends, he says, not me, is it? And Jesus says, you're playing games. It's not going to end well, Judas. See you tomorrow afternoon. There by our field. Don't worry about the money for the field. We've got it. See, Judas had his heart in a dark place, but he had his words out in the open. Oh, living large. Watch that game. Sometimes Christianity even creates the game. You know, because um, I don't know if you've ever grown up in, in, in church environments where if you behaved more Christian, you were respected more. Oh, they look serious Christians, you know. They get the front row. And, and so after a while, injured people behave um, falsely out of a need for acceptance and affection. So we put on an act just so someone will love us. And I, I hope you know by now our vision in this church is to love you before you even feel the need to put on an act. Just love you as you are. We'll start there. Most problem solvers will tell you the best way to solve a problem is just tell us honestly what's going on. Just say it. Once, once you've told us honestly what's going on, then we can fix it. But if you go to fake it, you can't fix it. That's one of the games the devil throws in. Are, are you okay for number two? And then, like, it's nearly close to the end, and number two is a little bit intense, so then, then you can say to yourself, oh, but he's nearly finished anyway. Number two is the windfall game. As soon as I have enough money, I'm going to be a better husband. I'm going to be a better believer. I'm going to sleep better. What a lie of a game. You're in this game. You know very well you're in this game. You felt it even on Black Friday. You felt it in two ways. First of all, you wanted a bargain. But that was, sorry, I got a bargain. But I did exactly what every shop owner hates. But because my family owned so many shops, I felt it was time for me to be on the other side of the shop owner client equation. I went from shop to shop in PE with my Take A Lot app open. And I said, I can get it for this price. And they said, yeah, also. Huh. And they swore at this Arab pastor who went from town to town competing with the app. But when you got the one product, you said to yourself, but the next one's coming out in January. And this one's old. And so the game keeps coming. There isn't going to come a day when enough will be satisfied. 
is not going to be enough. That day doesn't come. And so you run. And so you chase. And so you stand on your family life and you stand on your kids growing up and you stand on your spiritual life all to fight in a game you can't win. I've never, you know, I met maybe one incredibly wealthy person who once said to me, I think I have enough. Uh, No, I don't. That's exactly how that sentence went. One of the richest guys in P owns a lot of lands. If I give you one more hint, you know who he is. He's Irish. And we're having coffee one day. And I said to him, when's enough? He said, I think I have enough. No, I don't. Do you know, you, be, why doesn't Jesus just tell you? Matthew 12, from the message. He knew it was a trick question. He said, why are you playing these games with me? Bring me a coin. Let me look at it. They handed him one. This engraving, who does it look like? And whose name is on it? Caesar, they said. Jesus said, give Caesar what is his and give God what is his. He said, don't play this game. The money game, the windfall game, the just my ship coming in game, my as long as I have the house I wanted game. And play that game because you will land up honoring Caesar more than God. Oh gosh, it's a game. I know this game. I was in the UK the other day. Is is that clock at the bottom right the actual time? Like ten oh three. Oh right, okay, we're okay. We're okay. I was in, in, in the UK. I went to do an alpha training and feedback workshop at Holy Trinity in Brompton. Very fancy there. I went to Harrods. Shouldn't have done that. It's basically seven floors of things I can't afford. <laughs> I thought what I'll do is I'll sneak in and I'll buy one item just to say, you know, I got something from Harrods. I thought, what's a British thing? I don't know, something British. But maybe a Burberry something. I'll get a Burberry scarf. I thought, well, that's the smallest thing, surely. It's a little tiny neck, you know. How much Burberry scarf do you need? <laughs> I went into the Burberry shop on the fifth or sixth floor. It was really lovely. I looked at the scarves. I looked at the scarves. I looked at the scarves. 315 pounds. I'm okay. I'm not that mouse on that wheel. I'm okay. You just at some point, now if you can, you should, and you should buy two and give one away. But (laughs) that's not my point. The point isn't stay poor in order to win. My 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 mind it's don't chase enough. Because that is a false finish line. That you will never reach. That's 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 the key. That's the principle. Yeah. The Lord has a sense of humor, though. I mean, just the way Jesus works. I took this photo and sent it to Ryan because he's in Frankfurt at the moment. I get to the airport at um, Heathrow. I'm on my way out. There's a Harrods shop there. I thought, well, maybe there'll be is somebody okay there. I thought maybe there'll be a Burberry something there. You know, there wasn't. But the man at the counter is, I said, I'm just looking for something, you know, it just feels a little bit less plasticky and I'm not, I don't like. He said, well, you know, we have a Hessian tote bag. There's only one left, you know, those canvas 
with Harrods on it. Would you like that? I said, actually, I would like that. He said, well, it's only one left and I can't find the code. I'll tell you what, you can have it. I thought, yeah, just, just be careful you don't play a game to win at something that God wants to give you anyway. Uh, because I think we may regret that. And then finally, the word game. People really think that if I just change what I call it, it changes the thing. That's just weird. When young people say, we're not dating, <clears throat> we're not dating exactly. We don't like that word, dating, but we're just not allowed to see anyone else. Okay? That's just dating with extra steps. Why are there extra steps in this? I said to my friend here who came along to drive, um, we all love coffee, you know, and I watch online coffee making. It's getting complicated now. If you watch online, there's a spiky thing and a smoothing thing and a tapping thing and a, a, a sheet of what looks to me like mesh that you use for construction that goes between the bean and under the bean. And why are there so many extra steps? In your relationships, why are there so many extra steps? Why are you calling it this and then it's got to go through that and go through that phase? Are we not still just making coffee? Is it's not still just the same thing? Why are there so Because you're playing with words. The devil's really good at that. Did God, did God really say? What words really, did, what exactly did God say? Isn't that the ultimate game? Isn't that the ultimate game? Call it something else and pretend it isn't the same? Isn't that the biggest game of all? Second Corinthians chapter 4, I really am close to finished. Second Corinthians chapter 4 from the message, since God has so generously let us in on what he's doing, we're not about to throw up our hands and walk off the job just because we run into occasional hard times. We refuse to wear masks and play games. We don't maneuver and manipulate behind the scenes, and we don't twist God's words to suit ourselves. Rather, we keep everything we do and say out in the open, the whole truth always on display. Now, I love that scripture. Manipulating and playing and changing and twisting words, you know. And in the end... All that happens is you lose at the game. Hey, I've concluded this message with a with a final statement. I didn't know how I didn't know I didn't know what statement you so I've concluded it by saying seriously though. <laughs> like will you stop playing? And the verse that gave me the seriously though idea is James chapter four. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit rock bottom. Cry your eyes out and then the fun and games are over. Get serious. Really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way you'll get on your feet again. Seriously though. So here we are.
call it life or call it a game, but win. Win by knowing the game you're playing, what gravitational pull is pulling you, and what you're going to take seriously and arrive at with a good mindset, and what you're going to arrive at with a lazy mindset or an indifferent or a casual mindset only to find the devil just gave you a hiding. You don't start a business casually. You don't start a marriage casually. You don't enter into a relationship with Christ casually. And you don't build a career casually. You do it with godly seriousness. Not heaviness. Seriousness. The seriousness that says, you're not going to catch me here. I want to conclude this morning by saying, um, we're not deceived are the devil's schemes. And we'll honor God in the way we build our lives. Can you say amen to that? Would you please stand with me? Oh, thank you, Robert. <clears throat> I don't know what you're going to do on Christmas Day. You're going to have space. Make space. Have some people sitting in front here, the people who can also get up afterwards. <laughs> I, I wonder if I could uh, close in a prayer that calls for an action. So I'm going to invite you in a minute to close your eyes and not to trick you into anything. Just to close your eyes and then to just upon reflection, just ask yourself, you know, have I been a bit naive in something? And do I need to just change my approach here? Maybe I'm bringing the wrong quality weapon to the scale of the fight. And then maybe specifically, uh, secondly, your spiritual life. I don't really, the last thing I want to do is be harsh. Like maybe you've been, you've been tricked into playing a spiritual game. And that's not okay. Because if the devil can keep you busy, he'll prevent you from keeping you fruitful. And just to acknowledge that and say, Lord, yeah, I'm not playing games. So Lord, with those two ideas in our hearts, the first that we need to perhaps have a mindset adjustment to meet the challenge with the appropriate mindset. And secondly, to take upon ourselves the responsibility and the opportunity of a spiritual life with earnestness, with seriousness, not playing the field and not playing games, but just stepping up and stepping in. And then to come to that incredible moment as the Apostle Paul did in Romans, can someone help me? The answer is Jesus Christ can and does help us. Lord, would you teach us to call out to you and receive help in Jesus' name. In this quiet moment, I've, I've sort of said my prayer, so this is just a quiet moment. If you haven't yet invited Jesus to be the leader in the dance of your life, I'd like to encourage you to do that. You just literally just invite him, say, Jesus, I need you. Please forgive me for doing my own thing ignoring you completely and even disrespecting you. I'm stopping that today and I'm following you. 
please be my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name. And everybody said...